Definition number two. A revolution is a fundamental change in power or organizational structure in a relatively short period of time. A revolution is an overthrow of a system or government. A revolution is an overthrow of a system or government. 2 Corinthians 10, if you have your Bibles or your phones, I've got it on the screen for your reading. Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Look with me again at verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now you may be trapped in a fleshly box and you may still have the fleshly nature that comes with that box. But although you and I are trapped in that fleshly nature, we do not wage war according to the methods of that fleshly nature. And the, we the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. To the pulling down of strongholds. Everybody say that word strongholds with me. Yeah, I didn't even have to lead you on that one. Let's say it together again. Say it again. Say it loud. Let's pray. Spirit of God, fill me right now. Preach to me. Preach through me. Help me to help these people that I love. These people, I care about them. Nothing like you do. I love them, but nothing like you do. And I ask you right now to overflow me, bind every demonic spirit in this room, every distracting spirit, every murky spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of disbelief, every spirit of pride, every spirit of fear. I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you would bind, block, and cast out and remove all of that presence from this room so that we hear, see, and experience you only in spirit. Move through your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us with your truth. Let us walk in the victory that has been guaranteed to us through the death of the cross and the empty tomb. Let us walk in the power of your spirit Enlighten our understanding and open our eyes. Do it now and be glorified. Everybody said amen. Clap your hands together. Come on, clap your hands. Let's give him praise. I love reading behind the Apostle Paul because God used him to be a solver of mysteries. Paul was a revealer of secrets. In Scripture, he was a tracer of Old Testament shadows into New Testament light and God used the Apostle Paul to, if you will, pull back the curtain on certain things that God wanted to make manifest. And here in the text, like we see Paul do so many other times, he's driving home this topic, this idea, this theme. And in the address to the Corinthian believers, he sidesteps. Not to get off topic, but he just says, let me, let me call a timeout and address something. And in so doing, he addresses a topic called strongholds. 
as he addresses this topic on strongholds, it looks like he's about to run a rabbit. It looks like he's about to go off course. But in so doing, he has this parenthetical thought where he addresses the mental and the spiritual ramifications of strongholds and what they are. And in so doing, Paul uses strongholds, and he uses that word to help relate to our mind. We are spirit beings in a fleshly box. Look up here. You are not a box a body with a spirit, you're a spirit with a body. You are more spirit than you are body. Your body is going to die and decompose and will be glorified at that last day. Your spirit is eternal. Your body right now is not. Do I have a witness? And Paul is addressing the mind of a believer, and in so doing, he's addressing the spirit nature of a believer, and he uses the word analogy of a stronghold. Now, a stronghold is, is simply this it's a defensive structure or some fortified place used for protection during battle. If we were to engage in a Nerf war right now in this auditorium and hand out Nerf guns and Nerf arrows and Nerf bullets, the ideal place to set up would be to create your own stronghold so you could be protected, you could be guarded, and at the same time, you would have the leverage and the platform to shoot everybody else like they were sitting ducks. So you've got a couple of options in this room. You can stay on the floor. You could hide beneath the chairs. You could get up here and try to find a place of refuge, a fortress to fortify yourself up here on the stage. The ideal place for me would be in that sound booth. Because if I'm in that sound booth, I'm sitting in a raised position. I'm overlooking everyone in the room. The walls fortify themselves in a way where I can shoot you and duck back down, and I can stay protected, and more than likely, I can win a Nerf war with unlimited ammunition in that sound booth if everybody else is to stay on the ground. That's what a stronghold was. It was some raised place, preferably, that you could use for protection to penetrate and engage those you were assailing in a battle plan or strategy. The Bible's full of people in the wars scenarios using strongholds like David. When David was hiding in the wilderness, he went and got into a stronghold there and protected himself against his enemies. I find it fitting. Paul uses this idea of a stronghold as an analogy of what becomes fortified in our minds and in our thinking. He says, your minds are engaged with the enemy like a stronghold. What is a stronghold, spiritually, biblically speaking, Pastor Derek? Well, let me start it off like this. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think, so you become. Have you ever noticed that you do what you think? 
Oh, somebody better talk to me at 11 o'clock. You do what you think, and after you do it for a while, you become that very thing that you do. Therefore, a strong set, a stronghold is a mindset. It's a value system. It's a thought pattern that hinders your growth and hinders your life. A stronghold is not an external source or a sin that you commit a stronghold is not alcoholism. A stronghold is not sexual addiction. A stronghold is not self-destructive habits. No, 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 no. A stronghold is a way of thinking that exists as a result of a lie or a falsehood that was more than likely planted by the enemy. And that stronghold gets built up in your mind and thereby becomes the very nucleus and the epicenter for your decision decision making, your choices, your lifestyle, the way you manage your money, the way you live in your marriage, the way you treat people, the way you view your sexuality, the sins and the choices and by the way you commit, it becomes the nucleus, it becomes the processing center, it's a stronghold and our experiences from our earlier days when we are younger, those experiences frame our mindsets, the way we think the way we view the world, the way we view people, the way we view God, the way we view the word, the way we view our faith, the way we view one another, the way we view ourselves. And, 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 and the teenage mind from the age of 12 to 18 is like soft play-doh. You can shape it, mold it. It's malleable. And it can be fashioned by all of its exposure and all of its experiences, its upbringing, the words that were said to it, the things that it saw in internet private browsing, the, the things that were said to it in the hallway, in between periods, or in gym class, in the locker room, things that happened at family reunions, things that daddy did or daddy never ever did, all of those things, experiences and exposure, it shapes and forms a mindset, a, a, a mentality, a value system, a thought pattern that thereby becomes the very epicenter for where sins come from, decisions come from, lifestyle choices come from, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where we are living out the very lies that were planted in our mind. You say, no, no, no. It's just a psychological thing, Pastor D. It's just in my head. Who do you think put that in your head? Have you ever noticed that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, human beings have always been under the direct influence of satanic entities? Have you ever noticed that our fallen nature, our human nature, our carnal nature, our sin nature, our selfish nature is a direct result of satanic influence that misled us into the very depths of deception? Somebody better talk to me this morning. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that he spends a whole letter addressing great levels of immaturity and probing questions in the Corinthian church. They were seeing the full manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God in their worship gatherings. Yet, in the second letter. He has to address the mental and spiritual strongholds that plague them in mind and truth.
amazing you can come to this place and you can clap and you can smile and you can get your worship on, you can get your praise on, you can go through all the motions, we can experience all that, we can feel God, we can, we can enjoy the Spirit of God, we can hear truth, I can get up here and preach and I can get up here and labor in the Word and all of a sudden the Spirit of God can move in this place. Isn't it amazing that the Spirit of God can do the things that He does when we come together and we get to benefit from it, but isn't it crazy that on Sunday while we're living in heaven together, you, it don't take but Monday afternoon and you're already living mentally in hell, entrenched, entrapped, enslaved, confined, in bondage, in your mind, your thoughts, the stuff running through your head on Sunday afternoon that manifests itself by Friday night. I wish I had a witness in this room. I'm talking about strongholds in the church. I'm talking about strongholds in the pastors, strongholds in pastors' wives, strongholds in leadership, strongholds in spiritual advisory council members, strongholds and trustees, strongholds in young preachers and ministers, strongholds in the worship team, stronghold in small groups and strongholds in good people, strongholds in men and women and teenagers, strongholds in Bible people, church people, good, solid people that love God. I'm talking about strongholds. My God. My God. It's an epidemic. Three quarters of nine o'clock didn't get it. I watched grown men who probably have pornography on their private browsing fall asleep while I was preaching. I watched women eat up with bitterness, mad as a devil, can't even merge in their new marriage because they're still bitter over the last one. Sit there and daydream while I'm preaching about something that is the key to their freedom. I watched the next generation sit there and look at me bored where they would light up if I was a YouTube star talking about some stupid fad. And the reality is we are entrapped. We are enslaved. We have been blinded by the God of this world, little g God of this world. There's an epidemic. It's a plague in our church. And I showed up today with an agenda. It ain't a soapbox. It's a scripture stance. And I came here today looking for a devil. I'm in here looking for a demon. And I ain't going to stop preaching. I ain't leaving. I ain't going home till I find it. And it might have came in with you. And if it came in with you, I'm after the very thing that's on you. I'm hunting a demon. And I ain't going to stop till I find it. I wish I had a witness. Somebody better help me praise him. If you know it's time to draw the line and say enough. My God. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Paul said enough is enough. He said we're supposed to cast down strongholds. We're supposed to pull down these imaginations. You know that phrase cast down in the Greek means to demolish it means to destroy it means to knock down it means to start your demo day mm -hmm. uh, too, many, too many free people living like slaves it's time to start your demo day 
too many minds being controlled by the powers of darkness. It's time to start your demo day. There's too many sons and daughters living trapped in the snare of the enemy. It's time to start your demo day. I wish somebody helped me shout. Somebody help me preach. Praise him like you've lost your mind. Demolish, tear down, knock down. He alters his language when he says casting down. That means to bring down with force or violence. Oh my God. Oh my God. Force or violence. Now you speak in our language. Huh? Huh? Now you talk in our language. It's, it's time for demo day. Because we can't have a revolution in this church and you can't experience a personal revolution until we overthrow this system. This structured government domain of darkness that's been roosting and ruling in your life. Calling yourself a Christian. Clapping with your hands on Sunday but doing things with them I can't even talk about on Saturday. The very tongue that you brag about the goodness of Jesus with, there's words walking out of it that would put a shamed face on demons and spiritual entities, yet you call yourself a Christian. Call yourself a child of the Most High. You, you might look like heaven, but you live like hell. And you want to walk in freedom. We need a revolution. We need to overthrow this thing. And I and I come I come I come to start taking some walls down. I come over here to bust a few holes up in some people. Ain't it funny when you start a demo day and you start knocking you start knocking stuff out, you start finding things under the surface you didn't know were there. Stuff growing you had no idea was there. You thought it was your allergies, but there was demons hiding in the walls. Come on now. Black mold running along the borders of your home. Come on. I'm preaching right now better than y'all leading on. You know the thing about demo days, you can't stop halfway through. My God, what a mess you'd leave. What a, and sometimes it gets ugly when you're in the middle of it. You start knocking stuff down, tearing stuff down, and it looks ugly. And you think, what have I started? You can't stop. You can't stop once you start it. You might as well tear this thing down because I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, when it's all over and done with and you've cleared it out, it's going to be worth it. Everything you saw in your head when you started will be there when you get done. I said it's time for demo day. Paul said we got to do this with some force. We got to do this with some violence. Paul said we got to demolish this stuff, these mindsets, these thought patterns, these value systems. What do you think? He said, we got to bring it down. And when you, when, 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 you, when, you, when you endeavor to do such a thing, there's a couple things you got to know. And you ain't going to do it if you don't know what you're doing. You got to know how to start this thing. You got to know what you're up against. You got to know what you're in. And Paul tells us what we need to know. In fact, in verse number three, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not 
carnal. In verse number three, Paul said the word war. In verse number four, he used the word warfare. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. The words war and warfare are not analogies. They are realities. This ain't some kind of idea that you're in the fight of your life. This isn't some, some, this isn't some relative essence that in your psyche, your soul, you're fighting to stay sober, fighting to stay holy, fighting to stay pure, fighting to stay married, fighting to not be broke, fighting to have your sanity, fighting to have your peace. This is not some idea. This is a reality, and you need to know your war, Paul says. You need to know your war. And let me go ahead and stop and say, we are in a war. We are in a war of angelic proportions. And you and I, as spirit beings, transformed, quickened by the power of the Holy Ghost, born again of spirit, we are caught in the middle of this war, and our minds are the battlefield. When Paul says that we wrestle against flesh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He said we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness and high places when he said that he was telling you about public and private enemy number one contrary to what you think or what you've been told you are not your worst enemy you are not your worst enemy because you didn't have a fallen nature as human beings. We didn't have a fallen nature until the satanic influence initiated and implemented that human nature by the temptation, deception, and fall into sin. So we are in a war. My enemy is your enemy. Your enemy is my enemy. Your enemy ain't your brother or sister on the opposite side of the auditorium. Your enemy ain't your supervisor or a co-worker. Your your enemy ain't somebody from your past. It ain't your ex-husband. It ain't your ex-wife. It ain't one of your stepkids. It ain't your stepdaddy or your stepmama. Your enemy, listen to me, is not wrapped in flesh and blood. Your enemy is a spirit entity. Your entity, it's a spirit enemy of the unseen realm, the demonic forces that are devils and unclean spirits, foul spirits, wicked spirits, perverse spirits, contrary spirits, angelic spirits. It's a wicked thing. It's an evil thing. It's a dark force. It's prominent. It's right now. It's very today. This ain't just something in biblical times. This ain't just something in the days of Jesus. This ain't just something in the days of Noah. It's right now. It's in the schools. It's in the government. It's in your home. It's in your family tree. It's in your neighborhood. It's downtown. It's your town. It's in the church. It's on the property. It's right now everywhere. It's a spirit force and a war that we're in. My God, this war is against our mind. Demons and devils. Always looking at how they can infiltrate your thinking. How can I get in that joker's mind? How can I get in that stronghold that's in her head? That way of thinking that developed when she was in middle school. How can I get in his thinking that developed from that first marriage that ended in divorce? How can I get into that stronghold that was created out of that sexual abuse. 
How can I get in that stronghold that was there because of the lack of self-esteem and the lies continually planted by the enemy about your inner true self in Christ? How can I, how can I get in that? Well, here's something you need to know about devils and the war you face. A devil can only take what you give him. A devil can only take what you give him. That's why Paul exclaimed in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Don't you give him a place. Don't you give him any platform. Don't you give him any ground. Don't you give him any opportunity. Don't you dare give up any of your property to that joker because he'll build a house on it and live in that thing like a nest. See, the reality is many of us have allowed our mind to lease ground that belonged to us. You've given up your acreage to a spirit entity that's now resolved to live and inhabit that thinking in your head. And you thought it was a habit when in reality it's a habitation. You've been calling it a struggle for two decades. It ain't a struggle, it's a stronghold. This is deeper than your flesh. This is deeper, this is deeper than being nasty like your grandmama. This is deeper than having a bad attitude. This is, this is deeper than being a jackass. This is deeper than being a hoochie mama. This is deeper than being a jerk. This is deeper than being a cheater. Maybe you being a hoochie mama, maybe you being a cheater, maybe you being a jerk, maybe you being mad all the time is the fruit and not the root. You so busy trying to deal with the fruit, but you don't, you don't even bother tracing the root. Maybe this is a spirit thing. I said, maybe this is a spirit thing. Maybe this is a spirit thing. Maybe there's a little roost up in the top of your head, and the devil's made himself at home. Some demon has camped out in your thinking, and now he leverages your mindset and dominates every area of your life. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Maybe it's a spirit thing because the Bible calls it a spirit thing. Maybe everywhere the Bible actually uses the word spirit, it's a spirit. The Bible says God's a spirit. We worship him in spirit. The Bible says that you're a spirit and I'm a spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has made alive our spirit. And the Bible says that in the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits, Greek word yuma. Greek word, yuma, breath, wind, forcible wind, spirit. Maybe everywhere that the Bible says God's a spirit, God's a spirit. And I'm a spirit, I'm a spirit. And angels are spirits, angels are spirits. So if God's angels are spirits, wouldn't the devil's angels be spirits? Maybe it's a spirit thing. And maybe that stronghold has been inhabited by the enemy himself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Maybe the reason you and I live out the lies in our head is because we've given a place, a platform. We handed over acreage. He's developed the property, built himself a home, and he has the upper hand. So I just... I just thought to myself, well, if everywhere the Bible says it's a spirit, wouldn't that mean it's really a spirit? 
Now, arguably, everywhere the Bible says there's a spirit of something, I can allow that spirit of to resonate from who I am. But if I trace the root of that spirit to the common enemy that you and I fight against, wouldn't it mean that the real root of the issue would be the influence coming from a spirit entity that's trying to inhabit the very thought process in your head? And so I, I looked at the root, and I looked at some spirits. I said, I want to know my war. I can't engage in Demo Day if I don't know my war. So I looked at what the Word of God said about some of these spirits, and I found a few of them, and I'm going to name them to you because you need to know them. You need to know them. You know why you need to know them? Because you've been talking about fruit for two decades, and the reality is you've neglected the root. You've neglected the root. The Bible says in Luke 13, there's a spirit of infirmity. Spirit of infirmity. Jesus walks into the synagogue, and there's a lady, and she's hunched over. She's bent over like this. She had extreme curvature of the spine. And Luke tells us in the inspired writing that the woman had a spirit of infirmity. A spirit that caused her to bend over like this. Now, I don't know if at one time she was crippled and had curvature of the spine and just came to the conclusion that she would never get better and believe that lie in so much that a spirit began to inhabit her mindset about herself and there actually came a time where she was better but didn't believe she was better and the spirit that inhabited her mindset caused her to live in the physical position that reflected her past position or this spirit entity that began to indwell her had so much power and force that he could actually alter the structure of her spine and cause her to continually look down. The Bible's silent about which one it is. But here's what I know. Jesus looked at that woman and he said, woman, thou art loose. And when he spoke that, that thing jumped out of her and she stood straight up. Now here's my thought. When he called that thing out... It had to go somewhere. It ain't left this planet. And that one, like the millions of others, is still in this world. We and you, me and you act like, oh, he cast it out and it dissolved into thin air. That thing landed in somebody and is walking around somewhere on this planet. And I know we think they all inhabit the Middle East because of the Bible times, but the reality is Columbus brought a whole lot more than just civilians to America. Spirit of infirmity. A spirit of fear. Paul addresses something with young Timothy in the second letter, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, God don't give you a spirit of fear. Well, if God's not the one giving a spirit of fear, who do you think is giving that spirit of fear? A spirit of fear, characterized by timidness, fearful, afraid. The pits of anxiety, worry, stem from this spirit of fear. You ever had that on you? You ever had that wrapped up in your head? You can't, you don't even know why, you're just scared. Just scared, worried about something. Living in the sin of worry. Saying, I trust God with my soul, but I can't trust him with this situation. I've had the spirit of fear on me. 
I can get up here and preach under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit of God, walk in victory, go home, get still, it gets quiet in the house, and that spirit of fear will just come over there and hover right over my head and say, it's a matter of time before this thing just disbands right under you. It's a matter of time before they start leaving in droves. Look at all them people that have been to that place, called you pastor and called Jesus Lord. Where are they now? All these people going to be just like all them other people. They, they flip floppity. They're going to waffle. They're unstable. They don't want to build no church. And you, you know what? You know you. You're going to mess it all up again. You messed it up before. God bless you. Gave you a paradise. And you took fruit off a tree that didn't belong to you and poisoned you. It's all going to happen again. Your kids are going to turn from God. They're going to hate church. It's all going to fall apart. I'm going to infect the staff. I'm going to get this whole place toxic. It's all going to fall apart. You ain't never going to get no building. You ain't never going to get no property. Y'all going to end up on your tail. That whole area is going to blow up and develop and it's going to be right for the other churches to pick and y'all going to be out on your tail and you're going to end up selling cars again. I'm talking about a spirit that has lodged itself in the epicenter of our minds. A spirit of whoredoms. Let me move quickly. Hosea 4.12 talks about people going aside after a spirit of whoredoms. This is sexual immorality. It's plain and simple. It's anything outside of the covenant and the confines of God's ideal plan for marriage, which is his only plan for marriage, a man and a wife. Sex before marriage, you're opening a gate to a spirit of whoredoms, a spirit of fornication, a spirit of adultery. It'll start off with pornography on your phone and you'll end up in a full-blown affair covered up for three years. You'll, you'll, it, it'll, it'll, it'll start with thoughts and you'll end up swip, uh, uh, flipping right and flipping left. Come on. Come on. Homosexuality is nothing more than an offshoot of a perverted spirit that took what God had, altered the natural use of man and woman, planted a lie inside of the mind of people, even people who love God and love the Lord, and just altered and distorted the biblical truth that God had. And now it's an epidemic, a plague running rampant, not just in the world, ladies and gentlemen, in the church itself. And before you get your rocks ready to throw at people that deal with their sexuality in regards to their gender, you better be real careful about throwing a rock because there's probably 10 coming back at you. If you lust after a woman in your mind, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And last time I checked, sin was sin. It was all wicked. It was all wrong. God was not okay with one sin. He's not okay with my sin. He ain't okay with your sin. A spirit of silence. See, we don't, it's not called a spirit of silence. It's actually in Mark 9, and it says, a dumb spirit. He brings his son to Jesus, and he says, he's got a dumb spirit, and your disciples couldn't cast him out. And when Jesus goes to cast him out, he actually reveals something about this spirit that we didn't see. He doesn't just call it a dumb spirit. He calls it a deaf and dumb spirit. Spirit of silence. What I called it. I called it a spirit of silence. You know why I called that dumb and deaf spirit a spirit of silence? It's almost like you can't talk about nothing. Can't talk about it. 
He won't talk to me. I bet he won't. He won't talk to God about it either. Oh, the words are all there. They're all there. But his mindset's clouded by this oppressive spirit that has shut his mouth. And he won't talk about it. Isn't it crazy we can go through something and never mention it to God? Never pour out a complaint to him. Never, never humble ourselves and get on our face and call out to God and pour out our need. God, you can feel it while I'm preaching right now. I feel this. I'm actually talking about spirits. You can feel it in this room. Right now, it was easy for me to preach a while ago. It's hard for me to preach. When this thing does this right here, it ain't because I'm losing my grip on my sermon. I've studied myself full. It ain't because I've ran out of words or don't know where I'm at or don't know what to say. No, it's because there's a demon in this room constricting the flow of God's spirit, the preaching of his truth, clouding your Don't let them get this. Don't let them get this. He wants you to think it's in your mind. It's psychological. It's mental. And the reality is there's a demon prancing around your living room as I'm preaching right now, and he's got you convinced it ain't him, it ain't me, it ain't us, it's just you. The devil is a liar. There's a thief in the house. There's an enemy on your property. There's a spirit loose in your mind. And I come to call it out and say, I see you, devil. I know what you're doing. <laughs> Spirit of silence. Spirit of perversion, Isaiah 19, 14. It's just, it's just truth distorted. It's truth twisted. A lot of that sexual spirit that comes from that perverted spirit, it just twisted. Twisted. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about just calling things out like exactly what they are? Like you're, you're, you, you've slept with somebody and you're not married and you plan to do it again. And then you hear a sermon like this and as I'm sitting there preaching it to you right now, what would happen if you just said, I'm not going to do that again because it's sin? But you won't say that. That spirit's got you twisted and you're making excuses and you're coming up with reasons why it's okay. You're going to continue to live in that cycle like a hamster on a wheel, just running the same thing, wondering why you ain't got no power in your prayer, you ain't got no victory in your life, and you're, and you're living, you're convinced you're a slave. You ain't addicted. You're not addicted. That's a mindset. That's a stronghold in your head. I'm addicted to porn. Really? Are you really? You cannot but help do it. You're going to do it no matter what the circumstances. You're not giving yourself or the Holy Ghost any credit. If a member of ISIS came to your house, took one of your family members, sat them on a the couch, put a knife to their neck and said, if you look at porn again, I'm cutting their head off. You'd never look at it again. You believed a lie. You swallowed the whole freaking bottle of pills and you're convinced that this is who you are. This is who my granddaddy was. This is who my daddy was. Let me tell you something. You're a new creature in Christ. I don't know what happened to you when you got saved, but you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you might have a part of your flesh that wants to sin, but deep down inside of your spirit, you're going to hate what God hates, and you're going to want victory over what God conquered. I need a witness in this room. Deep down in who you really are, you're going to want the right thing. I told you I couldn't handle this. It's about to get worse. <laughs> Spirit of error. God, that's killing. The, that, that, that demon right here, that demon's in Banks Crossing. That demon's in Commerce. It's in Franklin, Jackson, Banks County. It's all over this place. Spirit of error. People 
on this biblical path, so they think, and the spirit of error has misled them into theological heresy, missing the mark of what God intended, wrapped up in stupid traditions of men, living in the shadow of their ignorant forefathers, making committees upon committees upon committees, voting on what color to paint the walls, voting on toilet paper, making the pastor work three jobs, paying some organist 180 years old to sit over there and bang away until she's dead. And the reality is the Holy Ghost is wanting to bring revival to their church, but they're caught up in the error of their ways, and they live constantly in a blind spot, going madlessly over and over in a circle, never going anywhere. Spirit of Antichrist. When I I say Antichrist, what do you think of? You think of that dude who's going to step up at three and a half years in the tribulation period. The mark of the beast. You think of that guy. That's exactly right. But that's the guy. That's the guy that Satan's going to use to commit the abomination of desolation at 35 weeks, which is three and a half years, and he's going to sit on the, te- on the throne in the temple of Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. He's going to be anti and opposed to everything that is Jesus, the true Messiah, Yeshua. He's going to be opposed to the Savior. But the reality is John tells us in his epistle to the church that he says the spirit of Antichrist that we will see manifested in that man is in the world already even now. It's a spirit, you see? It's a spirit that is anti-opposed the anointing of God. Oh, you didn't catch that right there. Oh my God, you didn't catch that. Listen to me, Baptist brethren. You didn't catch that. It's opposed to the anointing of God. Jesus is the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. God anointed Christ to come and establish his kingdom under the anointing, which is the power of God. And that anointing was given to us through the unction and the person and the presence and the power and the promises of the Holy Spirit of God. He released an anointing when he gave us the Holy Spirit of God. And if you sit around this church and you put Puff up like a puffer fish every time the glory of God makes much of Jesus who came in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, lives in heaven, and gave us the infused power of his spirit. And we begin to praise. We begin to worship. We pray in the spirit. We begin to walk in his truth. We see God perform his gifts and miracles. And babies get healed. And lives get freed. And people get stirred. And people begin to praise God and their hands go up and they clap and they smile and they shout and you can feel the Holy Ghost move. If you don't like that, let me tell you, there's a door you came in and the same door you can go out where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. I want him to move. I want him to speak. I wish I had somebody in this room that felt that power from another world. You know there ain't nobody like him. There is nothing like it. I felt the fresh dew. The oil still flows. Somebody help me praise him. If you know the power of anointing is in this room. Well... You're just working yourself up into a frenzy. (laughs) 
I guarantee you right now, Dr. Dumbbell, you take the tip of your finger, lick the tip of your finger, and go stick it in one of these outlets right here, and you'll feel a power you can't see. And it'll jump all over you, and when it gets done with you, you'll know there was something on the other end of that wire. Let me go ahead and tell you, honey, I'm hooked up to a live wire. There's a life in that wire. There's fire in that wire. There's truth in that wire. There's power in that wire. There's change in that wire. I wish I had a witness. Somebody praise him. If you know there's power. On the other end of the wire. I'm getting stuck. Spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61 talks about a spirit. I don't care how you trace it. Is there a demon walking around who specializes, got a degree in heaviness? Or is it just... I have this spirit of heaviness on me. If all it is, if you think all I've got is this spirit of heaviness on me, I guarantee you I can trace it back to a lying mouth that's whispered in your ear. All you crazy people that think you want to work for a church, All you people that think, I want to be in the ministry, I want to preach, I want to work for Jesus. I've ran a corporate business in the world. And I've ran, if you want to call pastoring that, a spiritual business for the Lord. And the weight and the pressure that mounts upon your shoulders and head when you endeavor the work of the Lord... Is way heavier than anything I ever felt in the secular world. And I think the weight alone is enough to kill a man's mentality. But I think when you've got the weight of the ministry and you've got a devil jumping up and down on it. You, you think of new grace and 373 Pottery Factory Drive and you think of the glory that moves in this room on Sundays but you don't know about the demons hanging out in the lobby on Monday waiting on us we pull up in the parking lot and they're there waiting on us I get home today my little daughter's got a strep throat she's at the house right now she's sick when I get in that house there's going to be more than a spirit of infirmity in that house there's going to be a heaviness I'm going to walk in there and there's a devil that said you could have said it better There's a devil that's going to say, you could have preached it better. There's a devil that's going to say, they didn't get it. Remember that guy falling asleep? Remember that girl daydreaming? Remember that guy scrolling through his phone? They didn't get it. They didn't care. You're wasting your time. You're casting pearl before swine. You're not anointed enough. Your past is going to keep you from being anointed as you could be. You could have been a a home run hitter in round one of the ministry, but you flunked out. Remember, you failed the test, buddy. That divorce took something out of you that you'll never get back. Come on now, come on. That heavy lion spirit get on me. The devil say, you're just like King Saul. You're, God is the only boss that will fire you and let you keep working for him. Spirit of bondage. Paul talks about in Romans 8, about a spirit of bondage. 
It's a controlling spirit. I want to be careful how I navigate this idea because I don't want to say things that aren't true or say things that are theoretical. But I think this controlling spirit can be anything from I got to have a sip of wine in order to relax to I can't say no to food to I can't stop running my mouth to I cannot get off of Facebook to I, I, I cannot control how long I want to sleep on the weekends. I'm talking controlling where your flesh and your mind has created a dependency on something outside of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And that spirit has a demand and a pull and a tug and a control on your spirit. And you're going to keep letting this joker fortify that stronghold by drinking. You're going to keep letting him fortify that stronghold by looking at stuff you don't need to look at. What kind of gateway do you think you open yourself up to? Maybe you are not, maybe your body's not really as sick as you make it feel. You didn't hear what I just said. Maybe you feel yourself into sickness. Maybe you think yourself in it. You, when you, because you start your day saying, I just don't feel good. Guess what you'll feel the rest of the day? Not good. I got a headache. I bet you do. You keep speaking it into existence. Your mind's going to catch up with your mouth and you're going to have a headache. I just can't do it. Guess what you'll do? Not do it. I'm just sad. Guess what you'll be? Sad. You got this controlling bondage spirit. And here's the saddest part about it. The devil makes you think that you're enslaved to it and it's always going to be that way. I thought he that is in the Son is free indeed. I thought we were free. And there's a controlling spirit making you think you'll always be a, uh, you'll always be a dopehead. You'll always be a pervert. You'll always be this way. You'll always be a loser. You got no relationship with your dad. And you'll be just like him. The abuse... Things done and said to you. See, you knocked a hole in that wall and now we see it. Now you got to confront it. Now it's there. And you want to patch that wall, don't you? You don't want to keep swinging. It's easier to patch that wall and be like, that's not there. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And you leave that critter on the other side of that wall. And your kids are going to grow up and it's going to crawl out and it's going to jump on them. And they're going to end up addicted. They're going to fill them waves into oblivion. They're going to live up hating themselves and be depressed. And what was just a struggle for you will be a stronghold for them. But I came to tell you, amidst all that bad news, today is demo day. So y'all got to learn how to flip the script. Y'all all depressed right now. My God, if you're his, you need to get on board with me. I said it's demo day. And since you know your war, you better know your weapons. He said, we have weapons. <laughs> I'm about to preach this thing into the stratosphere. You ready? I said weapons, weapons, weapons. He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Weapons, weapons, weapons. Tells me I'm locked and loaded. Tells me that you're armed and dangerous. Tells me that you're a force to be reckoned with. Somebody better talk to me. Some of y'all done got mad. Don't get mad, get delivered. 
Huh? Don't get mad, get free. Don't get mad, bless God, get glad. Get on board with me, help me preach. I said weapons, weapons. I ain't talking about pea guns and pop guns. I'm talking about loaded, locked, loaded, armed, and dangerous. No need for concealed carry, buddy. This is all out war. I come to draw a line in the sand. May the hordes of hell hear our battle cry this morning at New Grace, where we say enough is enough. I've had all I can handle. I've watched what you've done. Now it's time for me to get busy and stand my ground. Suit up and go to war with me. Do I got any soldiers in this room who will say, I'm ready to draw a line in enemy territory. I'm ready to take out my sword, claim my shield, and say, it is on. Somebody help me if you're ready to fight back. All right, good to see some of y'all are awake. We've been having church while you've been sleeping. And we're figuring out that we've got weapons. Weapons that give us a fighting spirit. Oh, you ain't hearing me. I'm talking, I'm talking, bless God, if you realize what your praise and your prayers did to the enemy, if you realize what happened, if you started exercising your authority, although as a human being you might have been made a little lower than the angels, the one that made the angels indwells inside of you, made you alive and quickened you. And the one that quickened you is also the one that equipped you. And now you and I can endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Honey, I'm not tucking my tail. I'm not bending over for the devil. I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to run away and retreat now. I'm standing my ground. I'm drawing a line, and I'm getting my fight back. Where is the fight of the church of the living God? Where's the tenacity? Where's the mentality? Where's the animosity? Where's the dynamite power in our bark? Where's the dynamite power in our by it's been too long you've been a victim for too long but I come over here to chase a devil out of town and tell the world we are conquerors we're overcomers greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world love not the world neither the things that are in the world nothing can separate me from the love of God that I have in Christ I'm lost loaded, standing my ground. Somebody better help me preach. No, some of y'all don't get it. You still don't get it. You still don't get it. See, I'm going back into the enemy's territory. I'm going back into the enemy's camp. I'm going to take back what he stole from me. I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm ready to swing. It's time to jab. It's time to cross. Where's the uppercut? Hear our battle cry. Here we come, devil. Look out, hell. Heaven on the loose. I'm a soldier with the captain of the host. The God of angel armies on my side. Somebody help me preach. If you know there's victory in Jesus. Turn me up, Brett. Get it back. I said get it back. 
I said get it back. You got to fight back to get it back. Get your sanity back. Get your breath back. Get your fire back. Get your peace back. Get your joy back. Get your mind back. Get your life back. Get your kids back. Get your wife back. Get your home back. Draw a line. Say enough is enough. I'll fight back. I'm fighting back. I'm fighting back. I got a helmet of salvation. I got a breastplate. I got a belt of truth. I got shoes on my feet and a shield in my hand. I got the sword of the spirit that's sharper than any two-edged sword can divide asunder soul and spirit. I got a weapon and I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah, see, let the devil hear you praise God for a second. Let the devil hear you clap. Let the devil hear you shout. That is your battle cry. You should have lost your mind. We should have buried you by now. But look at you. You still got a song. Yeah, you should try it. Instead of sitting there like a victim, let him bulldoze and bully you. I dare you to praise him on purpose. I dare you to stand on your promises. I I dare you to take out your sword, jab him in the chest, and say, you mess with me, Joker. You ain't got to deal with one son. You got to deal with the whole family. You gonna take that? You gonna take that? You took it the last decade, you gonna take it another decade? Bless God, it's time to fight back. Get it back and fight back. You know, you know how we took out the international terrorist, Kasim Soleimani? We didn't take him down in hand-to-hand combat. We didn't take him down by throwing a grenade in his path. We got a hold of an executive power who filed an executive order and called an airstrike out of the sky and took that joker off the map. Let me tell you something. When you crawl in your prayer closet, you turn it into a war room. And when you go in there, you ain't talking to a private. You ain't talking to a lieutenant. You ain't talking to a commander. You ain't talking to a sergeant. You ain't talking to a general. You're talking to the executive power that sits on the throne and looks down low. And the last time I checked, he calls an airstrike to eliminate the threat. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down when you're done. Sit down when you're done. Know your weapons. Know your weapons. Jesus is greater than Satan. The devil might have some power, but bless God, Jesus has all power. 
I'm talking about all power. Sin couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't keep him. You can't stop my God. You can't stop my Savior. You can't stop Jesus. You can't drown him because he'll walk on the water. You can't judge him with the law because he's perfect. You can't kill him with death because he'll rise again. And you can't keep him in the sky because he said, I will be back. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Know your weapons. Know your know who you are. Know whose you are. At any given time, on any given Sunday, in any football game, the tight end, a wide receiver, a quarterback, a kicker, a punter, a linebacker, a coach, anybody gets out of line. Anybody crosses the rules of the game. There's a guy wearing a striped shirt with a flag in his pocket and a whistle around his neck called a referee. And he's been granted the governing authority by the league that if at any time there's any foul play on the field, he can throw a flag, blow a whistle, and send one of them big bruisers to the showers. Not because he's taller. Not because he's stronger. Not because he's faster but because his authority puts him in a rank above anybody on the field. You need to know who you are and whose you are. You've been given an authority to walk right over the devil, walk right over demons, walk right over principalities and powers, and if you let the devil bulldoze you, it's because you allowed him to cross the lines of your authority. Come on, Jake, help me close this thing out. I'm about dead. <clears throat> Preach for 10 years straight like this every time. Never went horse. Never went. You remember that? You used to preach. He was a kid. I'd just get up there and pray. I was, wild. I was wilder than I am now. I was also younger. <laughs> Never went horse. It's because they were always spaced out. This back-to-back stuff is kicking my throat's butt. But you know what? You know why I'm preaching right now like I was at nine? Because I went in my office and I turned my office into a war room. And I said, you made this voice box. You made this throat and this tongue and this head. And if you'll strengthen it again to preach for round two and give it all I've got, you know that I'll give you the glory and people will get closer to you and he does it every single time. There have been days and Sundays I'll walk out of nine, go into my office and I say, I can't do it again. And he just steps right on me. We knock that stronghold out of the way. Paul said, know your war, know your weapons. Look at the last verse. Know how to win. Know how to win. Everybody say win. Look at the verse. Look at the verse. Casting down imaginations. God, there's so much liberty in here right now, I could preach on the newspaper and somebody get saved. I'm almost done, but you don't miss this. If you, if you, if you, if you clock out now, you, you're going to miss the best part. Casting down with violence and force, take down those imaginations. That's all they are. 
It's just make-believe. And every high thing, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, it's not even true what you've been believing. It's not even true what you've been entertaining. It's not even a reality. You've, you've been led astray by make-believe. You've been living in a fairy tale world. You know how to win. The first thing you do to win is you've got to cast it down. Everybody say, cast it down. You've got to cast it down. Now, how do you cast down this stronghold? How do you cast down this little fortress that you haven't been able to penetrate? The only way you can bulldoze this house is with truth. You have to have truth. There's a wrecking ball of truth that can make a mess of the devil's house, but you've got to swing it. You've got to use it. You've got to use truth. Here's what truth looks like. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm going to learn you something right here. I'm going to bust all of your Bible belt bubbles in a second. The first thing you do with truth is you confess sin in truth. Let's talk about the fruit. Let's talk about the fruit. Whatever it is. You fill in the blank right there. What's that stronghold been? What's it been producing? Is it pornography? Somebody told you it was alcoholism? You're addicted? Is it drug use? Is it, is it constant depression? Is it bitterness? You have hate in your heart against your uncle for what he did to you? And what he did to you warped your mindset of sexuality? Is that there? Certain, certain chapters of your past? You, see, look, it's been producing these things. You have a bad representation in your mind of the Father's love for you because you did not have the proper fatherly love horizontally, therefore it's skewed vertically. Confess that sin. I've been doing this. I've been doing this. But it's more, it's more, confession is more than, Lord, I've been doing this. Confession is not you going to God and telling Him your sin. That's stupid. God already knows what you're doing. God already knows what you've done. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, then you did that sin with God. He was present. You're the temple, right? So anything you pour down your throat, you're pouring it down His. Any hand you let on your thigh, you're letting it on His. You're the box. He lives in you. So He went through the whole act with you over and over and over. You confessing a sin is not you telling God something He don't know. Confession of sin. Confession is the word in 1 John 1, 9, homilageo, which is where we get the idea of agreeing with God about our sin. That's what confession is. Confession is you agreeing with God. Lord, I agree. I agree. You hate this sin and I hate it too. You hate this sin and I hate it too. Now, some of us in this room, we won't ever turn from our sin because we don't hate it. Them that are His will know that they are His because they'll be led by the Spirit and the Spirit is sensitive. He gets grieved when you and I sin. And I know one of my biggest proofs or evidence that I know I'm a Christian is because I bother God when I sin. 
So when I confess my sin, confession is the admission of truth in an agreement with a holy God and say, you hate the sin and I hate it too and I'm sorry I did it again. I don't want to do it anymore. But this flesh is so weak, it's so pathetic, it's so stupid. God, I did it again. I said, I've already told you a million times I wouldn't do it again. In fact, the last time I did it again, I said, Lord, if you'll get me out of this and not let me ever do it again, I'll X, Y, Z, I'll keep all these, I'll do all these things. God, I hate this sin. You're agreeing with God that you hate sin, but you're also agreeing with God that the sin's been forgiven. You didn't get that part. You didn't get that part. You're agreeing with God that He he hates the sin, but He's also forgiven the sin. God forgave that sin before you committed it. The day you got saved, God already saw you committing that sin and decided in His infinite mercy, in his faithfulness to the contract that he'd forgive you even if you did it later. Lady, go and sin no more. It is my wishes and my perfect permissible will that you go on this path. If you do, there's blood for that. If you do, there's grace for that. If you do, there's forgiveness. But until you hate sin like I hate it and you see it as forgiven, you'll never get beyond it. How do you wreck this house that the devil's living in? Confess the sin. Second thing, if you want to cast it down, confront the spirit. See, this is where you lose dignified, rational, reasonable, intellectual people right here. This is where you lose them. They'll agree with this preacher that, yeah, I got to admit my sin and I got to confess it in truth. But I lose some of y'all when I start talking about confronting a spirit entity. It's too hocus pocus for you. Like I'm gonna bring you up here with Miss Cleo and flip some cards and tell you your future. You've missed the boat on this Bible, haven't you? How is it? How is it? How is it that you will call out in faith and trust to a God you can't see or touch? But you won't confront a spirit entity that's plaguing your mind and your mentality. That girl that had that occult spirit, that spirit of divination, that witchcraft spirit. People got Ouija boards in their basements. Got stuff they used to meditate with and do seances with still in the house. Wonder why the kids are getting up in the middle of the night and seeing things in the hallway. You can sit there and sleep in your body, sleep eight and a half hours at night. Your body sleeping, your mind and the subconscious REM sleep, your eyes shut, eyes rolling back in your head, but your spirit at war at night over spirit entities, spirit individuals, and spirit personalities in your home and house because you've been messing around with divination. Greek word is pythos, where we get the English word python. That spirit will squeeze the Jesus out of you. got to confront this thing. You need to say it. Satan can't read your mind. He can't read your mind. He's not God. He does not have all the properties. He doesn't have all the power of God. He cannot read your mind. But you need to speak to this entity in the authority that's been granted to you in Jesus. So if you went and bugged my house, you'd think I'm crazy. I'm walking down the hall talking to stuff that you can't see. I'm walking down the hall, going in my kids, <laughs> woo, going to my kids' rooms, 
laying my hand on their pillows and touching all kind of stuff in their room, having church, worshiping God, and shooing the devil out the house because I, 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 I will be cursing my soul written off before I let some of the stuff that crawled through me crawl on my babies. Better kill this preacher before you touch one of my youngins. I call it out and I confront it. The spirit of fear, the spirit of heaviness, the spirit of fornication, the spirit of perversion, the spirit of adultery, the spirit of lie. I call it out. No. Call it out. Confront it. Confront it. You have been messing with me too long, and I'm sick of it. And, and cats out of the back, jackass. I know what this is now. This has been a big lie the whole time. Big lie. I'll let this thing get in my mind, and then you inhabit this stronghold, and you've been calling shots that you had no business calling. You've been breaching your authority. And I'm confronting you with truth. So right there where you sit right now, you think of a little piece of property that belongs to you. And I want you to look at that hill that you've allowed him to develop. You gave place to the devil when you were 16. You gave place to the devil when you were 21. You gave place to the devil last year with an inappropriate relationship at work. You gave place to the devil with an oppressive, depressive spirit. I don't know what it, you gave place and you've allowed a house to be built demon sitting in that house you see it it's not a struggle it's a stronghold it's not a habit it's a habitation that mindset is a house with a demon entity today's demo day today is demo day tearing it down it's coming down I don't walk out of here with that house standing Either I fall or that house does. But we ain't both walking out of here. Something's got to come down. Right now, as we go into the close of this service, I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to stand in a second. And I'm going to ask you to come down here. And we're going to cast that house down with truth. We're going to pull that stronghold down with truth. And we're going to demolish this house that the devil's been nesting in in our mind. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because when you pull this thing down and there's nothing standing, you knock this house down, Paul closes his thought with this. Take every thought captive. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? After you've knocked down his house and you've seen that devil jumping out of that window and running off in the woods, you know what that means? You take every thought hereafter. You grab that thought. You don't let that thought run up that hill. You don't lease that land. You don't let that thought build another house. You grab that next thought and you drag that joker captive. And you put him at the feet of Jesus. And you say, this one right here was trying to build another home. This one right here was trying to build another house. This one right here was trying to come up against you and me. And I'm calling it out. I'm not letting it happen. Look, you knock that house down. You knock this house down. You get that devil out of your head. 
you don't start taking these next few weeks, the thoughts you're going to have, if you don't take them captive and bring them to Jesus, you know what's going to happen? That joker's going to run off and get his friends and build a whole subdivision where he had a house. You're going to end up worse than you were. Knocked it down but left the ground. Take it back. Yeah. That's a part of your life you're living without.